BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. So Donald Trump is not going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner Saturday night, and now he says nobody who works at the White House is allowed to go either. He's asked everybody to boycott the dinner. Yeah, guess what? I'll be there. I'll have a better time without them. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a Wednesday. Here we go. Middle of the week, April 24. It is the Bill Press Show, and we welcome you to it. You're very much a part of the show, of course, as you uh, join us with your comments on Twitter and you join us with uh, your knowledge of the news of the day and your thoughts about how things are going and where they ought to go, particularly on the big question of impeachment. Great to see you today. That's what um, Democrats are trying to decide what they want to do about. Great to see you today. I hope you're ready to uh, dive in with the help of our good guest today. Ryan Riley joins us from uh, HuffPost, a senior justice reporter there. Niall Stanage, uh, from the who covers, uh, he doesn't, he's a columnist for the White House for the Hill newspaper. I'm a columnist for the Hill as well, but Niall's there full time as a columnist. Uh, he will be here as a friend of Bill, and then we'll be joined uh, by John Bennett, who covers the White House as a White House reporter for Roll Call. So lots going on today, lots to talk about. And again, as a big hearing in the Supreme Court yesterday on the census question, as always, we want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day. So send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll be tracking those comments, following you, and uh, look forward to hearing what you have to say about the news of the day. Lots to dive into, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Right. Uh, usually Peter's job. Peter is off this week. So um, it's up to me to bring you up to date on the most important stories of the day. Uh, I, I sort of, I, I kind of like this one, okay? All right. Have you ever seen a Eastern Hellbender? 
I haven't. I never even heard of an Easter Hellbender uh, before today. But the Eastern Hellbender, I'm pleased to tell you, is now the uh, it's the largest salamander in the United States. It is now the official salamander of the state of Pennsylvania. Yes, uh, Pennsylvania has named it. Um, it's uh, uh, the official amphibian, I should say, not uh, hold on, but it is the Eastern Hellbender. Get this thing. This this uh, amphibian, this salamander, uh, it lives in. It doesn't like polluted water. Doesn't like polluted rivers. Likes fresh, clean water. Therefore, they say this is a a, a commitment on Pennsylvania to to clean up its rivers and streams and lakes, like they have for a large part uh, in Pennsylvania. They've done a, done a great job. It, the salamander, the hellbender, is two feet long. It's nocturnal. It's also known, has a few other um, nicknames. It's known as the devil dog, the alligator, I'm sorry, the Allegheny alligator, <laughs> and the lasagna lizard. Um, so there you go. Now we have an official amphibian in the state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is not the only other, no, only state to have an official amphibian. There are 20 other states that have an official amphibian. I don't know what the other 19 states are, and I don't know what the other amphibians are, but I do know this. Uh, the New York Times does a good job this morning, and we'll tell you some more about these in the next hour, of uh, talking about official state birds or animals or insects even. In Virginia, Virginia has an official bat. Since 2005, Virginia has an official bat. The official bat is the Virginia big-eared bat. So there you go. Virginia is not just for lovers. Virginia is for bats as well. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, Donald Trump says the Mueller report is over. No need to go any further. Therefore, he says he will do everything he can to block former administration officials like White House counsel Don McGahn and even former special counsel Robert Mueller from testifying in front of Congress. It looks like it's going to be all out war. It is all-out war between Donald Trump and the congressional committees, which are starting their investigations and their oversight hearings. Hey, hello, everybody. With that note, we start out on this Wednesday, April 24, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, joining you everywhere in this great land of ours. In fact, everywhere on this planet, uh, thanks to the Internet, thanks to YouTube, uh, and with all the news of the day. So we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you as well on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and on the radio statewide in Indiana, on Indiana, uh, on Indiana Talks, and out in Chicago. Hello, Chicago, WCPT. We are there with you all over the city of Chicago and the surrounding communities of Chicago on the great progressive voice, WCPT. 
Lots to talk about today. Yes, indeed, and we've got a good lineup of guests. Ryan Riley joins us from HuffPost. He's their senior justice reporter. Niall Stanage from The Hill uh, writes a column about a White House doings uh, for The Hill. He'll be here as a friend of Bill. And John Bennett covers the White House for Roll Call, uh, joining us as well in, that, uh, in, our, in our second hour. Uh, lots going on. Yes, indeed. Let's start with the president putting out an edict yesterday. You know, the White House Correspondents Dinner is Saturday night. It's an annual affair. It's been going on since 1924. Uh, and President Calvin Coolidge was the first president to attend the White House Correspondents Dinner. It's um, maybe an overdone affair, at least has been in the last few years with uh, more Hollywood celebrities than Washington officials. But the original idea still remains the main thrust of the, one of the two main thrusts of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And as a member of the White House Correspondents' Association, I've attended every one of these dinners since 1996, actually, when I started Crossfire at uh, CNN. Uh, and so the two purposes are, one, to raise some money, important money, for scholarships for young journalism students around the country. Um, so it's a fundraising dinner for scholarships for journalism students. That's, that in itself is a good cause. And the second good cause is just this one night of the year when the journalists and the people that they cover put everything aside and just get together to break bread, have a drink, uh, relax, uh, enjoy some fellowship and camaraderie, and uh, n- not to not to abandon their jobs or abandon their official roles, but just to say that you know we're all in this together, kind of, and we can at least put put our differences aside and have a good time. One night out of the year, boom, not for Donald Trump. Every president since Calvin Coolidge has attended the White House Correspondents' Dinner as Donald Trump went as Mr. Trump, developer Trump. I was there one night famously in 2011 when a lot of people made fun of him because he was talking about running for president in 2012. That was you know, long before he actually did run for president. Uh, but at any rate, as president, Donald Trump is the has never gone. He's the first president not to go to the dinner uh, with one exception, Ronald Reagan missed it one year. And he had a good excuse. He was shot. There was the assassination attempt. He was still recovering. But even Ronald Reagan phoned into the dinner and greeted everybody and told a couple of jokes uh, from his uh, from his recovery room. Uh, anyway, no, Donald Trump, of course, he considers all of us the enemy of the American people, his particular enemy, and so he said now for the third year in a row, I'm not going. Yesterday, he ratcheted it up. Before, he didn't go, but at least there were cabinet members there, members of the administration, department heads, senior White House staff, press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders sat at the head table uh, last year alongside of Jonathan Carl from ABC News, who's on the board. That's where the members of the White House Correspondents Association board all sit at the head table with the president, the first lady, the speaker or entertainer or comedian. Uh, that's where Sarah Huckabee Sanders was last year. But yesterday, Donald Trump put out the edict that no member of his administration, no White House staffer, no cabinet secretary, no department head, will shall attend the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Many of them had already accepted, I know that, 
because I've talked to my friends who have invited them as their guests. Uh, and uh, But Donald Trump said, nope, you can't go. He's basically prohibited everybody from going. Uh, I mean, how petty can you get? Even for Donald Trump, I think that's unbelievably petty. But that's the way it is. But you know what? As a member of, again, of the White House Correspondents Association, as someone who plans to attend the dinner, I don't give a damn whether they're there or not. Uh, we'll have a good time without them. And as far as I'm concerned, it just means more free booze for me. There you go. Yeah. So stay home. I don't care. Uh, also, Donald Trump yesterday, by the way, you might wonder about the Mueller report. Has it had any impact? Politico reports that it, in fact, has had an impact. Donald Trump's approval rating has fallen five points in the last week since the Mueller report came out. It was inching up a little bit. It got up to 44% in the Politico poll uh, pre-Mueller report, post-Mueller report. It is now down to 39%. That's the lowest approval rating Donald Trump has had, uh, as low as he's had at any point in his presidency. Um, as we pointed out before, yeah, he, um, <coughs> pardon me, takes good care of his base, throws red meat at his base all the time, keeps being such a hard ass on immigration to please his base, does his Twitter storms nonstop against the media like he did again yesterday to please his base, uh, but he has not grown beyond his base at all as president of the United States. And uh, there is something old-fashioned about the United States. We sort of do think it is... Um, the president should serve all the people, uh, not just um, the, the members of his political base. But that's where Donald Trump is, stuck at 39%. So the American people see the Mueller report for what it is. It's a report that does not exonerate Don, Donald Trump, does not clear him of any collusion, does not clear him, hear him, clear him of any obstruction of justice, but does paint... Uh, a president whose actions have been uh, inappropriate, dishonest, maybe even immoral, unpatriotic, and just plain wrong. And the American people don't like it. We mentioned yesterday the big um, uh, news yesterday and the focus was going to be on the Supreme Court of the United States, which indeed it was. Uh, the big question whether the Commerce Department, Secretary Wilbur Ross, is right in trying to add to the census, change the census, if you will, from um, account of everybody who lives in the United States, the uh, enumeration, what, what's that phrase again from the Constitution? An actual enumeration of the population of the states. That's what the Constitution calls for. The Trump administration wants to change it and make it uh, an actual count of United States citizens only, uh, identifying and not counting those who happen to live here and may have lived here for decades who are not citizens of the United States, uh, who came here, either came here legally and, and then stayed beyond their visa or came here illegally or whatever, are not citizens. Uh, so they want to change the census entirely without any act of Congress to do so. That's been challenged by several states. It went up to the Supreme Court yesterday. We can read too much into oral arguments. Sometimes justices ask questions just to kind of play devil's 
advocate on the Supreme Court. When I interviewed Justice Breyer two nights ago, uh, I asked him about that. You know, do we put too much stock in the questions asked at oral arguments and try to read too much into them? And he said, absolutely. He said, there's a lot of study that goes on before the oral arguments. There's a lot of debate that goes on afterwards. And in a sense, that's just sort of testing ideas that they do there during the oral arguments. But if we could read anything into the oral arguments yesterday, it looked like the conservative members of the court thought there's nothing wrong with adding the census question. Sonia Sotomayor, Justice Sotomayor, led the more liberal members of the court in challenging it and saying what you're doing is you're, you're coming up with a whole new document and you're coming up with a kind of account which is going to shortchange many states, including California, including Illinois, including New York, including Texas and Arizona, where there are large populations of undocumented people. Uh, and those, those um, states are going to be at the short end of the stick when it comes to receiving money for education or transportation or health care or social services or welfare or whatever. The New York Attorney General was outside the court yesterday, Letitia James, saying how this could result in a big undercount for a lot of states. Adding that particular citizenship question could lead to the undercounting in communities across America, particularly in immigrant communities and Hispanic communities. It would mean that communities entitled to resources wouldn't get those resources. Yes, indeed. She goes on to say why it's important that this question not be part of the census. Fairness means that assistance reaches those who need it the most. It means that communities have an equal representation in government. It means that no group or neighborhood is marginalized. And for this reason, it is imperative that we challenge the addition of the citizenship question to the 2020 census. Right. Uh, Good for her, and we'll see how the court... The court has to rule pretty fast because I think it's... uh, They have to put out the, the actual forms start preparing them like in June or something like that. It's a very short deadline uh, for, for the court. Um, they'll have to t- they heard the or- or oral arguments. Now they'll discuss and debate it uh, and come up with their ruling. Uh, it is pardon me, estimated that if this question does remain, uh, if the court allows a question about citizenship to remain on the census, that the actual count will come up somewhere around six and a half million short, six and a half million people not counted. And again, that'll make a huge difference in the way federal dollars are uh, allocated and a lot of states not getting the representation they need. Um, on On the congressional front, Donald Trump yesterday saying that there are efforts by the um, that he's going to basically he's going to do everything he can to stymie any any investigation any oversight hearing uh, of Democrats uh, in Congress, um, trying to block their ability to do their job. We saw a couple of days ago uh, that the head of the House Oversight Committee, Congressman Elijah Cummings, did issue a subpoena to the to the president's uh, accounting firm to get the last 10 years of his financial records, including his tax returns. Donald Trump responded by suing uh, Congressman Cummings uh, to block that subpoena. 
We know that uh, Chairman Nadler, the Jerry Nadler chair of the House Judiciary Committee, issued a subpoena to get Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, and Robert Mueller, the special counsel, to testify in front of his committee. Donald Trump yesterday indicated that he's going to do everything he can to block Donald. I'm not, I'm not sure how he can do it, by the way, because Don McGahn no longer works for the White House. And Robert Mueller is no longer special counsel. I really don't think the president has the power to prevent them from testifying if they decide to testify. Uh, but Trump yesterday announced that he's going to do everything he can to block it, uh, which raises the question about then what does the Congress do? Congresswoman Maxine Waters said yesterday, again, and she's been one of the ones from the very beginning leading the, the, leading the, uh, uh, the charge for impeachment, that she says, we're just going to continue to do what we've got to do, and if it leads to impeachment, that's where we go. Here's Congresswoman Maxine Waters, now head of the House Banking Committee. Well, we're going to keep going, and we're going to issue the subpoenas. And in issuing those subpoenas, we're going to have to fight in the courts. Uh, and so we're up against him. It is a fight. But don't forget, you know better than anybody else that the Constitution of the United States of America places a responsibility on Congress to determine when a president is unfit for office. And in the final analysis, that's where the responsibility lies. It lies with us, and impeachment is the tool by which the Constitution has given us to make that decision and to protect the American people. So we're going to hold the hearing, she says. We're going to fight them every step of the way. And again, if it leads to impeachment, that's the only tool that Congress has. Uh, she says we'll, she should, we should invoke it. And the other thing that Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters points out is, uh, you know, let's not kid ourselves. This is an all-out war. And one thing that the Democrats have to understand, he's not going to give an inch. As a matter of fact, he's defied us on his tax returns. He's defying us as we seek documents uh, from various levels of government. Uh, he's even gone to a lawsuit against uh, Mr. Cummings and his committee. And so one of the things that the Democrats have got to understand is we're in a fight. We're in a fight with uh, a president that has no respect uh, for the Congress of the United States of America. And at the same time, uh, the Speaker and Nancy Pelosi pointing out, yes, we are in a fight. Uh, yes, we know Donald Trump has um, conducted himself in a manner unworthy of the presidency, the office of president of the United States. But she still is saying, let's not rush. She's not saying never, 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 but let's not rush into impeachment, certainly, she says, not just because politically we don't like Donald Trump. It's a facts, the path of fact-finding takes us there. We have no choice, but we're not there yet. Not there yet, and Speaker Pelosi says, you know, one thing you've got to do and is bring the American people along with you if you're going to success pursue impeachment successfully. Impeachment is a, is a step uh, that you have to take with this, bringing the American people with you. Again, without prejudice, without passion, uh, without partisanship. And by the way, I think she makes a very, very good point there. That's one thing I, I would hope 
um, because I think Speaker Pelosi is right in not rushing into impeachment. I think Bernie Sanders was right the other night in saying, you know, and Bernie made the point in the town hall on CNN. He said, you know, if we do, if we go to impeachment right now, he said, for the next year and a half, we're going to be talking. I'm, I'm paraphrasing Bernie, but it was very close to this. Trump, 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 Mueller, 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 not talking health care, not talking climate change, not talking student loans, not talking minimum wage, Trump, Trump, Trump. Yeah, that's the problem. And I think Speaker Pelosi makes that point. And maybe that one thing the Democrats one would hope would do would be to learn from the Republicans back when they impeached Bill Clinton. It sucked again, sucked up all the oxygen in the room. That's all they were talking about was Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton for almost a year. And how did that work out? Yeah, the American people, they did not bring the American people along with them. The American people stuck with Bill Clinton. His poll numbers went up higher than ever after he was impeached, and Republicans ended up losing the House. So I would hope Democrats would listen to Nancy Pelosi and realize uh, don't make the same mistake that Republicans did back then. If the American people aren't with you, if they don't really have the goods, if you don't really have the facts in a serious, serious offense, then focus, as I've said before, focus in <laughs> serious talking to me, uh, focus on winning in 2020, getting rid of Donald Trump that way, because, we again, we know Republicans. I'm sorry to t- remind you of this, but the Republicans in the Senate are cowards, they are never going to vote to convict Donald Trump and drive him out of the White House. Hey, on the political front, something uh, I want to talk about 2020, but something interesting happened out in Iowa yesterday. A veteran leader, Republican leader of Iowa, uh, State Representative Andy McLean, McCain, rather, Representative Andy McCain, he has been a Republican for over 35 years. He has served in the Iowa State Senate and the Iowa House of Representatives. Yesterday, he said he is leaving the Republican Party and becoming a Democrat because he said he uh, he just has no regard, no respect for Donald Trump, cannot support him. He said, quote, a, uh, he called Donald Trump, quote, a poor example for the nation and particularly for our children. Republican leader of the House of Representatives in Iowa going into 2020 says he's just he just cannot be a Republican any longer as Donald Trump is head of the party. Very, very interesting. Uh, another Republican who stirred things up a little bit yesterday, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. Uh, we always we've talked about him a lot. He is still seriously considering challenging Donald Trump in the Republican primary in 2020. Um, he's done, generally considered to have done a decent job as governor of Maryland, got reelected, handily reelected uh, as governor of Maryland, which is a blue state. He's a Republican governor. Um, yesterday, he was up in New Hampshire, spoke at St. Anselm's College in a very famous event up there that they have called Politics and Eggs. It's a breakfast, Politics and Eggs. Uh, and Larry Hogan uh, just said, told this crowd yesterday, yes, he's very seriously considering challenging Donald Trump in the 2020 primary. Um, he pointed out that he has been to 10 states already, uh, so he's not kidding around. 
He has 16 more states on his schedule, uh, and he insisted he is in no rush to jump into this. He's got all the time in the world to decide, uh, which is true, whether or not he's going to uh, actually challenge the president, whom he referred to in his speech yesterday as our, quote, dear leader, (laughs) just like the people of North Korea are forced to call Kim Jong-un dear leader. A little mockery there. Uh, which did not go uh, unnoticed. So um, William Weld is already in, maybe Larry Hogan as well. And Bob Corker from Tennessee chimed in yesterday saying he thought it would be a good idea for there to be a primary challenger to Donald Trump in 2020, which uh, John Kasich has said and Jeff Flake has said uh, as well. On the Democratic side, it's now official. Pete Buttigieg, yes, indeed, he will be holding a town hall on Fox News, just like uh, Bernie Sanders did a couple of weeks or a week or so ago, uh, we know that Amy Klobuchar is scheduled to have her town hall on Fox News on May 8. Uh, Pete Buttigieg will be up with Chris Wallace asking the questions or moderating uh, that town hall on May 19. Uh, good decision on the part of Fox and a good decision on the part of Pete Buttigieg as well. Um, As we've mentioned, Julian Castro is um, in negotiations with Fox and maybe some of the other candidates uh, as well. And we now know that it was supposed to happen today. It's not going to happen today, but we're told, we'll see, that it is going to happen tomorrow, that Joe Biden is going to make it official, releasing a video tomorrow And then after that, we're not really sure. He was going to go to South Carolina. That's been scrapped. Then he was going to go to Pittsburgh. And now Pittsburgh may be like next Monday instead of tomorrow. We don't really know. It's for someone who is the um, has been leading in the in in the um, in the polls, even though he hadn't declared. And for someone who's been. Uh, in the Senate for so long, in public, the public eye for so long, vice president for eight years, you would think he would have his act a little bit better together. Um, but after a lot of uh, um, back and forth about whether he's going to run, again, we're told today Joe Biden has decided absolutely he's going to run and he's going to get in tomorrow um, with no, I, that's all we can tell you about it, no particular event scheduled as yet. So stay tuned. Maybe he'll change his mind uh, again. Uh, And finally, before we take a break, um, B.B. Netanyahu has uh, decided he's going to repay Donald Trump for all the support Donald Trump gave him when he was uh, running for re-election as prime minister of Israel. We know as part of that, uh, Donald Trump agreed to support Israel's annexation of the Golan Heights. Um, That certainly helped. Of B.B. Netanyahu a great deal in his re-election effort. And so yesterday, visiting the Golan Heights, uh, B.B. announced that he was going to name one of the settlements in the, one of the settlements that the United States had urged them, Israel, not to do, uh, but named one of the new settlements in the Golan Heights for Donald Trump. Isn't that nice? So some of those poor Israelis are going to have to live in Trumpville, whether they want to or not. All right, lots and lots of going on here. What is next with the Mueller report? Uh, Meaning, will Don McGahn and Robert Mueller and Bill Barr actually 
make their way to Capitol Hill to testify, or would Donald Trump be able to block them? Just one of the questions we have for the senior justice reporter for HuffPost, Ryan Riley, who joins us next. And don't forget, get your comments in on the news of the day, particularly on that impeachment question. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. A quick break, and we'll be right back. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. You got it on a Wednesday, April 24. Uh, hello, hello. The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. Joining you in land of ours, on the radio, on television, and online. And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, Good men and women of our firefighting departments across the country, you see them uh, rushing by on their way to uh, help another American family every uh, minute of every day. Just give them a big wave next time you see them and thank them uh, for their good work. And we thank them for the support of the program. Under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger, who will be one of my guests at the White House Correspondents' Dinner Saturday night, we don't give a damn whether Donald Trump comes or member, any member of the administration comes. We're going to have a good time uh, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and having a good time now welcoming to the program Ryan Riley, senior justice reporter at HuffPost with lots to talk about today. Ryan, it's always good to see you. Great to see you as well. Thanks for coming in. Definitely. Um, one of the things we may touch on is uh, uh, oversight hearings in the House, which may or may not lead to impeachment. We've been running a little on that. Uh, McKenna, what's the latest? We, All right. it's, it's shut down now, right? It is. Poll it's is over. over. Okay. It is over, finally. And, and the question was? The question was, should House Democrats proceed in impeachment of President Trump? Mm-hmm. And the results are in. 79, 79% said yes. 20% <laughs> said no. And 1% said, I have no opinion. And then we also have some comments on the poll. One person, a Ace Adam Four, said yes to secure a win for Trump. Yes, what? Yes, if you want to secure a win for Trump. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Yes. And then we have <laughs> more people just saying yes. They are all about impeaching. Right. Trump. Well, I just want to point out that that shows Ryan how much influence I really have <laughs> because I believe just the opposite. <laughs> the Democrats should not rush into impeachment, and yeah. I've been making. Very, very solid <laughs> arguments why that would be, uh, as this one person pointed out, maybe the best thing for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I think Pelosi's on the same page there, it seems. Uh, I, yes, I would have to say I'm on the same page as Pelosi, not mm-hmm. that she's on the same page as me, <laughs> uh, just in all humility. But at any rate, uh, um, that just shows that 79% of our audience disagree with me. Yeah. God bless America. So there we are. Yeah, I mean, we we did some polling right after um, the we've done like polling throughout the Mueller report. And we did polling um, immediately following the report, and it's kind of it's a little bit depressing if you look at the numbers in terms of how little like the actual facts of the Mueller report impacted public opinion, especially if you look at like Fox News viewers and you know supporters of the president, right? In the hours after the report came out, you know, first of all, a lot of people claimed that they had already read it, which. Okay, Um, (laughs) but, you know, people were saying, yeah, they understood the report very well. And, you know, uh, particularly Trump um, voters, it was, you know, 76 percent of them thought it found nothing, nothing bad for Donald Trump. Um, You know, 80 something percent of Fox News viewers thought the same. I mean, that's just out of whack with any reality 
Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, I think that that's sort of the issue is that these but, because, you know, Trump is pretty is lobbied against this and has you know been tweeting about this for a while. So people were pretty locked into their views on this even before the report came out. But, you know, uh, I, I did mention uh, a little earlier um, on Politico with Donald Trump's approval rating found that mm-hmm. in the week post Mueller report, the mm-hmm. week after the report came out, uh, his uh, overall approval rating went down five points from 44 to 39. Yeah. And it's now back as low as it's ever been in his presidency. Right. So I think a lot of the American people, not just when you get, get separate out his base and the Fox right. viewers, right, realize uh, the report is pretty damning. That doesn't mean, right, that it leads directly to impeachment. Yeah. Um, I want to start with something that's sort of in your wheelhouse but has nothing, well, has to do with 2020 but not with the Mueller report. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the uh, CNN town hall the other day, Bernie Sanders said felons ought to have a right to vote. Yeah. Not just ex-felons. Not, I mean, not felons after they've served their time. Right. But felons who are in prison. And the question was, does that mean even like the people, the bombers for the Boston Marathon right. or Charlie Manson, right? And, and Bernie Sanders said all of them, that they're serving their time, they're meeting their punishment, but they should all have the right to vote. And that once you start separating, well, which crimes yeah. merit taking the right to vote away and which ones don't, it's a slippery slope and, you you know, you don't want to go there. Yeah. Well, um, good idea or not? You know, I think that accepting the premise of the question was probably faulty, right? And, you know, it, limiting it to making the Boston Marathon bomber apply to, like, the millions of people who are incarcerated, right, is not a – is not a good um, sort of approach. Like the better response might have been like, you know, I think that um, <clears throat> that General Michael Flynn served his country for years, and when he's in prison, we should he shouldn't, you know, be denied the right to franchise. Or Paul Manafort, Paul Manafort, or like the yeah. multiple people, <laughs> from Michael the Cohen, right, Michael Cohen, who are going to to prison like that. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think that like that would have been accepting the premise of the Boston, yeah. you know, right. bomber is not sort of the way to go. Um, good point. Is it a political? Fight? By the way, I don't think they were citizens anyhow. I think he uh, were they? Yeah, because they were came over. I think they got citizenship. Okay. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think that's it's you know that's Mm -hmm. sort of the extreme example Mm -hmm. um, of it. But also, is it a fight that you know they need to have before the the twenty twenty election? I mean, it's just going to be used in a campaign ad. And in reality, let's we're talking about electing a president here, and the president is a state issue. Like, so I think that this is a state issue. Leave this up to the states is your easy out of that question because it's not it's not something that's going to actually have any practical implications for someone who's being elected president. Good point. I thought that one of the best, one of the the smartest things and the best things that uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe did as governor of Virginia was to extend the right to vote to people who had served their time in Mm -hmm. prison and were were back uh, in in society. Um, where many states still do not allow, they call them ex-felons, but once mm-hmm. you're a felon, you're a felon forever, I think, aren't mm-hmm. you? Or, but, but at any rate, most uh, some states don't allow it. Virginia did not. Governor Governor McCullough changed that, um, and so extending it to um, felons who are s- serving their time in prison. You know, the principle I certainly accept, and as you point out, most of them, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are not guilty of heinous Mm -hmm. crimes, right? Um, But at the same time, if I were running for president or advising somebody running for president, I would say, don't necessarily make this your issue. Right. The other (laughs) issue here, which is tough to get into in a cable news, you know, in a cable news town hall or something is, 
I mean, if you look at it, right, like right now in these rural areas that have a big, um, you know, prison population, that prison population is counted toward on your census numbers, right? So that actually means that these these rural areas that have these prisons are getting inflated um, population numbers and getting like more representation than they deserve based off of the prison population. So if hmm. like if that that's the discussion that you should be having is okay fine if these people aren't going to be allowed to vote we stop counting we stop you know artificially inflating um, population numbers in rural areas that and then you know them getting more representation because of this yeah. this prison right they're getting those they're they're getting those people's votes essentially you know right. which isn't isn't fair that's interesting yeah. but I'm, I'm i'm sure i mean i thought senator sanders did very well in the in the, in the town hall uh, he was very, very strong on the issue of not rushing into impeachment, but mm-hmm. holding the hearings and let's see where they go. Mm-hmm. Um, very strong, I thought, on a single payer. Uh, I think the last thing his staff wanted is to come out of that town hall with the news being Bernie Sanders supports right. letting Charles Manson vote, right, right or something like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. But at any rate, um, you can be right and wrong at the same time, maybe. Uh, interesting We've heard a lot of people comment about the um, uh, Mueller report since it's been out, starting with the president of the United States. One person we don't usually hear from at all on any issue, um, but he um, uh, was on one of the talk shows yesterday. And Jared Kushner had an unusual take on the Mueller report. You look at, you know, what Russia did, you know, buying some Facebook ads to try to sow dissent and do it, and it's a terrible thing. But uh, I think the investigations and, and all of the, the speculation that's happened for the last two years has had a much uh, harsher impact on our democracy than a couple of Facebook ads. So what Robert Mueller did was worse mm-hmm. than all the Russian efforts to interfere in the 2016 election. Yeah. I mean, he left out, like, even if even downplaying it to a couple Facebook ads, an extensive undercover social media campaign, even if you're boiling it down to a couple of Facebook ads. I mean, he's leaving out the entire other part of this, which is the illegal hacks of the DNC that, you know, impacted media coverage leading up to the election. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get definitive proof that it swung the election, but certainly that had a, a really harsh impact on the on the Clinton campaign and boosted um, Trump's, even if you set aside this other social media campaign that he's sort of downplaying. Yeah, really dismissing it as something, nothing other, pardon me, than buying a couple of ads on Facebook. Right. That's all they ever did. They yeah. did a hell of a lot more than that, including setting up meetings to share dirt on Hillary Clinton, right. which Jared Kushner participated in. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, as none other than Shep Smith on Fox News yesterday made that point. Jared Kushner's diminishment of Russian interference is both disingenuous and deceptive. The attack on our democracy involved much more than the purchase of a few Facebook ads. From the Mueller report, we now know (coughs) Russians made contact with multiple members of the Trump campaign, including Jared Kushner. Including Jared Kushner, right. The famous uh, June 2016 meeting at, at Trump Tower. And reading this hot little Mueller report, right, mm-hmm. which, I, again, I have in my hot little hands, uh, from that there are – a lot of that is because it relates to Roger Stone is redacted. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even in with the redactions, you can see Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, Roger Stone, Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner. Their names are all there mm-hmm. in terms of contacts multiple contacts with the Russians. I mean, it was a massive operation. And how many people were indicted by Robert Mueller? I mean, the Russians. Oh, dozens, yeah. I mean, like dozens, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's like 12 and 13, I think, in the separate indictments. But yeah, I mean, this was an extensive 
campaign, and I think that calling it a couple of Facebook ads is really, really, you know, undermining, I mean, your own credibility, I mean, and also just, you know, downplaying the extent to that this had an impact on our elections. Okay. So what is the follow-up to, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, it is over, it is done. Yep. There is no need to pursue anything mentioned in here any further. Forget it. Total exoneration. No collusion, no obstruction. How many times have we heard it? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't stop there, does it? No. I mean, the equivalent. I'm. I don't know if there there really is a perfect equivalent to this because it's such a like a, this is such a devastating report that has so many crimes involved in it. But like the investigations that we saw during the Obama era, like the idea that Republicans would have been satisfied if someone, you know, if a if a Democrat that you know Loretta Lynch appointed had investigated. Um, Hillary Clinton and said, you know, and that was the end of it, right? And we like that. It, it would just yeah. been crazy. Like that's not how this would have would have played out. Um, I think that the you know, like you're sort of saying on on impeachment, I think that the you know that's going to be a question that's probably going to play out more over time. But you know, I, there would be some benefit to actually having these people come up on the hill, like they want Don McGahn to do and testify about what you know basically the president the president's actions here and i think that that also would you know impact obviously have some media implications well, because not many americans are honestly going to read this full report but if you have uh, you know the president's um attorney coming up there and saying listen he tried to get me i you know and laying out basically what happened here i think that that has a lot more of a devastating political impact right so um the, the president made it clear yesterday that he does not want any of his former aides to testify and he will do everything he can to block their testimony we're talking particularly about Don McGahn, mm -hmm. and who knows who else, but also, not that he was working for Trump, but Robert Mueller, mm -hmm. special counsel, and maybe Bill Barr, the mm -hmm. attorney general, who has a lot of questions to answer after his news conference last yeah. week, right, and his four-page summary, which ended up not saying, not reflecting at all what's in the actual report. Yeah. So my question is, um, Don McGahn today is a private citizen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean. He, so, can the president prevent his testifying in front of Congress, and under what authority? I don't think he can prevent the full testimony. He could there, like the way this has usually worked out in the past, um, is that there can be areas that he can invoke executive privilege on. Um, I think for Democrats, the purpose of that would probably be, you know, that that would sort of serve their their interests as well. If he were to come up and say the president has instructed me not to, you know. Not, not to, to speak about this, not to answer this. I think that, yeah. that would also be a you know good sort of TV moment for them as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, typically it's there's nothing like because he's not employed by them anymore. But I think that you know ethically, the exec if the executive is trying to claim privilege over it, I think as the as the attorney, he still has some obligations there in terms of you know following you know if if your client is invoking some sort of privilege. You're not supposed to talk about that. Is it an NDA situation? Not really an NDA situation. I think just more of a like a lawyer, like an ethic, an ethics issue, essentially. Right. Um, because uh, he still has obligations to him as a client. Uh, how about? I, I think you're right. That could backfire mm -hmm. if they if M McGann gets up there and at some point he's got to say, "I can't answer that question because the right. president doesn't want me to." Right. Right. Doesn't look good. Yeah. Uh, how about Robert Mueller? Would he have the same kind of? Live in the same kind of bubble. Well, I mean, Barr sort of again. At the press conference. Not, I think he's back to being a private citizen. He's still employed, actually. Right now, he's still he? he's okay. still on the, yeah he's still on the payroll. Um, there's a very very skilled and limited staff. Most of the people have returned mm -hmm. to their uh, their jobs um, who are on the special counsel team, but he's still 
um, a government employee. Um, Barr said last week that he would no, have no objection to Mueller testifying. Right. But I also don't think that Mueller is going to give, I mean, I think it would be compelling testimony, but I don't think that he's going to give like that, you know, that clip or that soundbite that we're going to be watching, you know, I mean, years down the road, right? He's not that political sort of egg. He's not going to frame this in a, in a friendly way. I mean, if you look at the way some of the things in here are... Well, um, are written. It's not written in this like slam dunk, boom, he roasted him like sort of way, right? It's like, no, no. if we if we found evidence of a crime, we would so state. Like, it's just not the sexiest sort of way of phrasing things, right? It's very lawyerly, very, you know, But efficient. where he could uh, maybe give some insights into, okay, you as you cite, 10 different cases where he tried to obstruct justice mm-hmm. for various reasons he may not have succeeded, Right. right. And and then you get to the point of I've got to decide like any prosecutor, yes or no, mm-hmm. and you why did you not make that decision right? Mm-hmm. And was is it because of the OLC opinion? The, the yeah. yeah office of legal counsel. I office think, of legal counsel yeah, opinion. I think that the legal counsel office of legal counsel opinion played a, a, a important role here. Um, there's sort of a little bit of a disagreement. It seemed like between Barr and Mueller about how right. much of a role because Barr was sort of spelling this out that he said that you know. Barr indicated it w- that it played no role, and Mueller indicates so not no role. But it was like if, like, but for this opinion, I think but for is sort of the key thing. Like, if it wasn't for this opinion, would you have? Right. Indicted? I think that, and what Barr says, Mueller said is Mueller said no. I think sort of at like even even if that opinion didn't exist, we wouldn't have um, indicted. And I think that he was speaking to the, but I think that was still. For the most part, the reason that Trump wasn't indicted is because he's the president. I think that's a fair, you know, way. It, whether or not it was just the single OLC opinion, they are also taking into account the impact that that would have on the executive, um, just independent of the OLC. But sort of getting into some of the issues um, that the OLC opinion addressed. But on their own, I think they sort of decide that you know, yeah, I think that indicting a president in office would have these obviously these broad implications, right, um, on the presidency. Um, uh, the <clears throat> Congresswoman Maxine Waters yesterday, and we played this clip earlier, um, saying that Republicans or Democrats have to understand that as they're going to proceed with the hearings, Donald Trump will do everything he can to get in their way in terms mm-hmm. of, um, as we've just, just been discussing, trying to block people from testifying or t- at all or testifying on certain parts of the, on, on certain aspects of their work. Uh, not giving over documents, boom, 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 on, on and on. Um, and um, the first, I guess the first case of that is Chairman Elijah Cummings mm-hmm. of the House Oversight Committee asked for the financial records. Right. Donald Trump's response is not only to say I'm not going to turn them over, but to sue Chairman Cummings <laughs> for, for, for even asking, right? Uh, can he do that? Is this, is this again a question of executive privilege, or? Yeah, I mean, on the. I yeah. mean, there is a separation of powers argument here eventually, right. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's that's true. I mean, I think that that's sort of the issue that Dom again and others like him are going to be facing is that you know there is this idea of the serving sort of two masters, right? The um, the idea that the exe- that the executive has this this power, but also the legislative branch has this power of oversight, um, and sort of balancing that out is going to. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a while for this to get settled, and I think there's going to be some uh, cases that are going to have to play themselves out in court. Because if you look back at, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfect comparison, but the latest executive privilege fight that we have is really over Fast and Furious and some of the documents during the Obama administration um, that Congress was trying to access. Now, in that case, it was a situation where 
um, the Obama administration did turn over most of the information, but they said that their internal deliberations about how to respond to Congress um, should be protected. They eventually lost that fight, but it took like mm -hmm. six years, right? Um, so, I mean, six years from now is a long time. Um, whether or not you know Trump would still be in office at that point is a whole other issue. So it's going to have to be settled on a more expedited uh, schedule. Well, it looks like the battle here is really a, um, a, a, a battle for, um, in effect, an imperial presidency, right, uh, that, that the president can do. And it maybe starts with the emergency declaration mm. challenge. Um, Donald Trump declaring that, and now that's being challenged in the courts and may go all the way to the Supreme Court, that, that Donald Trump basically saying the president can do whatever the hell he wants, right? Yeah, I mean, but that's been, I think that the, I think that the power of the executive has been building in the past couple of, of decades, and that's been true throughout both administrations. Uh, it, um, it has. I mean, look at the uh, the War Powers Act, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty, we have a pretty broad, you know, powerful executive at this point. Um, you know, as people like you know Charlie Savage from the New York Times have laid out in the in extensive books and coverage, um, we do. And yeah. I think Donald Trump is trying to expand those executive powers. Yeah, even more so. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. So the, the the focus yesterday on the legal front, your front, senior justice reporter for mm -hmm. HuffPost. Again, it's HuffPost.com. Brian Riley with us was not at the Congress. It was at the Supreme Court on the question of, of the census. The New York Attorney General, one of the states challenging the attempt of the Trump administration to put this census question uh, as part of the, I mean, the citizenship question as part of the census. Here's Letitia James, a New York Attorney General, saying uh, the impact, if we have that question on the, uh, the census, a negative impact on the part of many states, particularly some of the big states. We have that clip. Adding that particular citizenship question could lead to the undercounting in communities across America, particularly in immigrant communities and Hispanic communities. It would mean that communities entitled to resources wouldn't get those resources. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, it, it seemed like the court was leaning. I mean, it's you know conservative court these days. I think it's going to lean towards uh, the Trump administration. Uh, my colleague uh, Sam Levine covered that was at the court yesterday, and I think that, that was sort of the implication from the oral argument. You can never... You can never completely bet on the oral arguments and how they go because sometimes we'll get a surprise. But um, yeah, I mean, this could have this could have definitely implications on representation down the road. Could be uh, up to uh, John Roberts, huh? Could be, yeah. I mean, as as the so-called swing vote right. today, yeah. right? With Anthony Kennedy, <laughs> yeah, Anthony Kennedy going. Yeah, you're right. Well, uh, I mentioned this earlier. I interviewed Justice Breyer a couple of nights ago, and. I asked him about oral arguments, and he said, we all tend to read too much into the oral, ar yeah. oral arguments, right? Yeah, I think that, yeah, definitely in, in there's many questions cases, in there. In many cases, it's like a mock court. People ask questions yeah, sometimes. Yeah, play devil's advocate. To, right. Exactly, yeah. right? And to test the attorneys and yeah. and and, um, and explore some theories or something. But, right. But I think you can bet that, you know, Clarence Thomas and Alito and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are going to vote with the administration. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Right. Yeah. Robert's. If persuaded, might be persuaded right. I mean, to vote the other way. Yeah, I mean, and you look at Obamacare, Sotomayor. how that played out. I mean, you know, there are other, you know, maybe, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, he's probably the swing here. Right. Um, Sonia Sotomayor um, making, leading the charge on the other side, um, saying that this could result in an undercount. I think they've estimated some six and a half million people would not be counted. Yeah, I mean, right, because people if just— it's limited to— uh, yeah, citizens. Yeah, and just you know, people not wanting to participate because they're worried about you know the implications of 
what what happens if they're you know undocumented and participate right that's the, the undercount could be se- se- severe there right yeah uh, there are several I'm just th- thinking if you talk the emergency declaration um, the the uh, Muslim ban mm-hmm. now the censorship the citizenship question there are a lot of things already in the last two years right that the Trump administration has done that have been challenged all the way to the Supreme Court again there are. testing the boundaries right of, yeah. Of the powers of the presidency. Yeah, I mean, and scandals that would have been, you know, had extensive coverage in previous administrations that really don't. You look at, you know, what happened in the past few weeks during while everyone was awaiting the Mueller report. A lot of stuff happened in that that would be significant um, controversies in any other administration, but sort of got, you know, covered over. There it is. Mueller, Mueller, Mueller talking about it. We're still going to be talking about it for a long time. Ryan Riley. Thanks so much, Ryan, for coming in. Sure. Thanks. Follow Ryan at HuffPost.com. And when when we come back. Miles Stanish joins us from the Hill as a friend of Bill with all of you. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. So Donald Trump says not only is he not going to go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, he's not going to let anybody else go either who works in his administration. They're all going to have to stay home by orders of the president, to which I say, too bad, we're going to have a good time anyway, and it just means more free booze for me. Uh, hello, everybody. What do you say? It's great to see you on this Wednesday, April 24. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Uh, it's a very busy news day, as always, with lots going on. Supreme Court yesterday getting into the question of whether or not the census is going to be uh, polluted with a citizenship question, which the Trump administration wants to put on it. And Democrats still bickering back and forth about whether they're going to open up uh, impeachment hearings, which some rambunctious members of the freshman class want to do, uh, and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, cautions not rushing into. Uh, we got a lot to get to cover here, and um, Larry Hogan, governor of Maryland, uh, stepping up to New Hampshire yesterday to say he's seriously considering challenge Donald, challenging Donald Trump. It keeps people like Niall Stanage from the Hill busy, uh, on many fronts, and he's kind enough to join us today in studio as a friend of Bill Hanno Nile. Good, Good to, to see you, see. Bill. How are you? It. Good. So it could be President Hogan, huh? Well, theoretically, <laughs> it could, could be President Bill Wells, too, but I wouldn't be holding my breath just, just yet. <laughs> yeah, Larry Hogan pointed it would be an uphill battle, and he hasn't made up his mind, but right. it was interesting he was up there yesterday. So uh, we have lots and lots to talk about, uh, and we will. Um, but first. 
This is the Full Court Press. So I started in the last hour here, and now you'd be uh, in, in, in terms of, since Peter's not here, it's up to me to do the Full Court Press. Um, I was struck that yesterday, uh, I never even heard of this before, which is an eastern hellbender. Okay, I don't but even know as what that a, is. It's a salamander. Oh. There's a picture of it. Okay. It's two feet long. It is now the official amphibian of the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> as of yesterday. Salamanders are uh, rising in the world, if this they, is the they, case. They are. There are now 20 states that have an official amphibian. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I also didn't know that Virginia, I mentioned this, has a an official bat as of 2005. Mark Warner, when he was uh, governor, signed legislation making the um, big-eared bat of Virginia, the official bat of the state of Virginia. Uh, there's only one other state that has an official bat, and that is Texas, for whatever reason. I'm slightly surprised your native California hasn't joined the f- uh, the fun here, but apparently not. not well, I don't see anything anyway. about California, not about bats. But, um, but on that point, mm-hmm. Utah has an official bird, and the official bird of Utah is the California gull. <laughs> <laughs> that seems a bit disloyal for all concerned. Well, it's, it's, it's disloyal, but it's also sort of dislocated, meaning gulls right. live on the seashore. Right. right. What's it doing in Utah? Pretty odd. Are, are there, I wonder are there privileges that come with being the official bird or amphibian for a particular state? But it's a very odd business. Maybe you get free snacks or something. <laughs> I don't know if you're, <laughs> it's okay to <laughs> defeat an official call. Now, there are uh, there are others in um, New Mexico. There They have the tarantula hawk, which oh. is interesting because it sounds tarantula hawk, right? You would think, yeah. is it a spider or is it a bird? Right. No, it's neither. It's an insect. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a parasitic wasp. Armed with a powerful sting, that is now um, some students and started this little campaign in New Mexico, and have named the tarantula hawk the official in, in insect of um, of New of New, New Mexico. Missouri has an official aquatic animal, which is the paddlefish, and Oklahoma has an official reptile, the common collared lizard, and that's the list, <laughs> starting with the eastern hellbender. Watch out if you're in Pennsylvania. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, it was supposed to be today. Now, maybe it's going to be tomorrow when uh, Joe Biden jumps into the 2020 presidential race. Um, being becoming, if he does, Democrat number 20 in 2020. Hello, everybody. 2020. Oh, God, it's getting complicated. I'm getting crowded. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, Wednesday, April 24. Thanks so much for joining us as we reach out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on the great Free Speech TV, America's only 24-7 progressive cable network, and joining you on the radio out in Chicago, the great city of Chicago, and all the great communities around Chicago on WCPT, the progressive voice in Chicago, joining us in studio. 
He's a friend of Bill for this hour, uh, Niall Stanage, who's a columnist for the Hill, for the Hill, and also covering the White House for the Hill. Um, and um, it's been a long time since we've had a briefing, Niall. Uh, so I haven't seen that much of you anymore. It's been, I, we haven't had one well over a month at this stage, I think. Right? Uh, I, I saw. Have... I saw yesterday. It's now a new record of I think. Well, that was two days ago, 44, so maybe it's like 46 days. Mm. It's or a long maybe time. Maybe even more, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, there were, it seems like every time in between briefings gets longer and longer. Absolutely. It's the monthly briefing at this stage, if that. I mean, not not, not even if it's it, 46 now, days. You it know? was a monthly briefing now, sort of like the six-week six briefing, right. right? Why? Well, I think a couple of reasons. I think the president famously considers himself his own best spokesman. He is he has the propensity to talk to reporters on rope lines or on his way to uh, Marine One, things like yeah. that. Now, I think you and I have discussed on air, uh, off air, I should say, Bill, that's not really uh, a great means of asking any kind of searching questions, not least because the president can literally walk away from inquiries that he dislikes and the uh, capacity to ask follow-up questions is almost And it's hard to hear and there are too many people... You know, mm. trying to crowd in and right. you and I've been there so many times right absolutely and it just isn't it isn't a forum or a setup that permits any kind of um intense or pressured questioning it's uh, a capacity for the president to sort of shoot his mouth off for a while and then walk to his helicopter um if there if if and when there is another briefing <laughs> Um, one of the first questions is bound to be, um, Sarah, what about your statement that there were countless members of the FBI mm. who called the White House to say congratulations on firing James Comey when she had to admit to special counsel Robert Mueller? Uh, was not the case. Right. It was founded on nothing, I think, is the phrase yeah. in, the, in the Mueller report. Yes. I mean... I think that it is important to highlight that and to not get into the um, thing that we often get into, generally speaking, of thinking, well, the Trump administration so kind of um, abnormal in various ways that one almost lowers the bar for them in some in some capacity. That uh, disparity between what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said at, at the White House podium as the representative of the pre president of the United States and the truth was a yawning gulf. She was smearing, effectively, James Comey mm -hmm. um, by uh, inventing evidence or pretending she had testimonials from FBI uh, agents that she apparently didn't have. Right. Um, and she says it was just a slip of the tongue, mm. which she might get away with, except for the fact that she repeated that statement on several occasions. Yeah. I mean, this on television as well as at the briefing room. Right. I mean, this clearly isn't a situation of misspeaking. We've all stumbled over our words once in a while or said one word when we meant another. But this is not that. This is trying to create a narrative or drive a message for which there wasn't any legitimate foundation. That's a completely different thing. Well, you know, um, the little time, relatively little time compared to some people, that I've been at the White House for the briefings, which is through the Obama administration and and now the Trump administration. But we've heard from at several of our meetings, you know, we've heard from various press secretaries in the past, Joe Lockhart or Ari Schlesinger, 
Um, Fleischer, mm-hmm. um, Dana, what's her name? Dana, Dana Perino. Perino, right. Mm. Um, and they all made this, and Mike McCurry, all the way back, Democratic and Republican administrations, they all make the same point. You have to go out, you're, you're, you're the spokesperson of the administration, and you have to give the administration line. Mm. And it, sometimes you have to maybe spin a little bit to mm-hmm. make it sound better than it is. But the one thing, all of them have said this, the one thing you never do is you mm. never lie. Right, right, because it is ultimately self-defeating as much as anything else. Right. Uh, and, and, and it looks like Sarah Huckabee Sanders mm. lied. Yes, pretty much so. And obviously that is something that is going to reflect upon her uh, credibility in the future. Now, lots of people would argue that her credibility wasn't that high to begin with, but it was, I mean, in fairness to Sarah, it had not been as bad as, say, Sean Spicer and the the famous uh, biggest inauguration crowd ever fiasco, which really set the tone for the rest of his tenure as press secretary and was one of the reasons why he became a figure of ridicule quite right, fast. Right. Sarah had previously been seen, I think, as someone right. who would aggressively spin the Trump administration's position. Uh, but, until this point. Until this point, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, of course, the, the the idea that she'd be fired for it is absurd because mm. I'm sure Donald Trump applauded mm. what she said yeah, and I, would I still today. Right, I mean, and I don't think he would have any compunction about that kind of behavior at all. Um, so, um, Saturday, will you be at the White House Correspondents' Dinner? I have been invited to several White House Correspondents' Dinners, and I've never gone. Oh. And and that that's not to present myself as... Uh, more uh, holier than thou. I don't particularly care for the concept of the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and that's why I don't go. I will, however, be at the Hills pre-White House uh, Correspondents' Dinner party, when I hope I'll see you there. Uh, I will Friday. be. I, I will be there, and thank you for the, thank you for the invitation. What impact? If so, Donald Trump, as we know, uh, yesterday announced uh, he had previously announced with great glee that he was not going to attend for the third year in a row. Um, making him the only modern president not to attend, with the sole exception of Ronald Reagan, who had a pretty good excuse one year for not coming. <laughs> You'll have to educate me. I don't know what Reagan's why Reagan didn't come. He shot. He was, was shot. shot. The year he was yeah. shot. Okay, yeah. I see. Right. The assassination. Right. Well, I don't, I don't think we can really hold that against, you can't uh, hold it against Mr. Reagan. And he called in from his recovery room Did he? to the dinner Okay. to wish people well. No, so, absolutely. Good yeah. Good for him in that in that regard. No, I mean, So tr- Donald Trump was not only coming, but yesterday, just at the mm. point I want to ask you about, is he up, ratcheted up by saying, not only am I not coming, but... Nobody from my administration shall attend. Yeah. And I know for a fact that several cabinet members or mm-hmm. department heads had already agreed, accepted invitations mm-hmm. in the in it just in the spirit of fellowship mm-hmm. to attend the dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, now they can't. Right. Uh, Trump, I think, sees um, political advantage in positioning himself as antagonistically toward the media as possible. Now, some of that antagonism is real. He clearly does uh, take umbrage at any kind of fair coverage, I would say. He he would call it negative coverage, I'm sure. So that's uh, part of this picture. But the other part of the picture is the uh, constant um, inciting of anti-media rhetoric for political purposes. I think often that takes a much more... um, dangerous shape than boycotting the White House Correspondents' Dinner, although that's not great either. Right. Uh, you know, and so it's too bad, but at the same time, you know, the dinner will go forward. They'll raise money for scholarships. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, my big question is, 
uh, how what what the dinner what flavor the dinner sort of will be mm. what the evening will be like having a presidential historian rather than a comedian because yes. it's always been a night for laughs yeah uh, and self deprecating humor mm-hmm. on the part of the president uh, and uh, toward the media and mm-hmm. toward his own administration yeah. It's going to be a different kind of dinner no. this year. Oh, so. definitely. And also, I mean, not to sort of reverse the rules here, but do you think that it reduces the kind of cachet of the dinner, even though Trump is seen, you know, the way he's seen? Does it reduce the cachet of it that the president doesn't attend? In your I opinion? think it does to mm. some extent. But I also think one thing that, that, that lowered the cachet of the dinner was having so many Hollywood celebrities yeah, there. And true. I thought that had just gone, it was ridiculous. It was out of control. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it, that, that changed the entire purpose, it seemed, or, mm. or meaning of the dinner. Yeah. And so I, I was really one who was saying we ought to get back to focusing on what it's supposed to be, the mm-hmm. one night when the people you cover and and the people who are covering them mm-hmm. just put everything aside and have a good meal and a drink together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair Which enough. is not wrong with that once, one night a year, right. I think we can. It we had can, moved a long can, way away from that, for sure. Exactly. Mm. Um, so... Um, is he or is he not tomorrow, Joe Biden? You've been writing a lot about Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, today was supposed to be the day, we were told. Yes, and now, we are. now tomorrow's the day, we are told. We're told. Right. Um, I mean, it has been a very halting uh, rollout. And that, you know, is not something that political professionals look kindly upon. There, It isn't just whether it was um, today or whether it will be tomorrow. Biden had been rumored to get into the race months ago now and it kept being pushed back and pushed back. You know, if he hits the ground running and and if there is a strong appetite for him, that won't really matter. The, the delay in getting in won't really matter. Right. I just, to express a brief personal opinion, I'm more sceptical than some people are about Joe Biden's chances overall, really, in, the, to, in getting the nomination. I just don't feel he's entirely in step with where the Democratic Party is right now. Right. Um, the, 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 it does, you're right. If he proves to be a strong candidate, who's going to remember all the stops and starts about, Mm -hmm. about his launch? Right. At the same time, it is, I think, instructive that here we are less than 24 hours ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And those of us who cover this so closely have no idea. Mm. I mean, we think there's going to be a video release tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. And after that, he was going to go to South Carolina. Now he's not. He's going to go to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. He was going to go to Charlottesville, and we don't going think to go to Charlottesville. I'm sorry, Charlottesville, mm-hmm. not South Carolina, Charlottesville. And then he was going to go to Pittsburgh, which mm-hmm. he's still, I, I, I don't know, yeah. may or may not do tomorrow. He's not going to go to Charlottesville. Right. right. So it, I, I don't think it does reflect very well on him. I think it does get to this point about a kind of, um, not exactly amateurishness, but a, a rather chaotic and, and perhaps even slightly ambivalent um, attitude to entering the race. The other thing is that I think because Biden has so much experience, it makes it all the more mystifying that there's this kind of halting approach. And this is a man who wasn't only vice president of the United States for eight years, was a senator elected in 1972, um, has contested the presidency, albeit with little success, twice before. So you put all that experience together and it is more of a head scratcher as to why there's all this to and fro going on. Uh, uh, but one of the things that you were, uh, you've were you written about this week is that um, uh, 
that the Republicans consider mm. Biden as maybe their toughest challenge? They do. I, I'm not personally sure that they're right about that, but they see Biden as a tougher potential rival to Trump because he is perceived as less left-wing, certainly, than Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or even Kamala Harris, although I don't think Senator Harris is um, as far to the left as Warren or Sanders. Um, so Republicans see Biden as as a threat in that respect and are therefore hoping that he doesn't get out of the primary. Th- their hope is that the kind of politician Joe Biden is isn't what the Democratic Party is looking for. And Republicans believe they would have a stronger chance against a more left-wing candidate. I'm personally not sure they're right about that at all. Right. Do they see Biden as a threat, particularly because, or so is his experience, hmm. he is generally well-liked mm-hmm. and respected, mm-hmm. uh, but he also has those blue-collar roots. Yeah. and, and that... Genuine blue-collar roots, right? Unlike right. Donald Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. Scranton, Pennsylvania and... Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, and you know, was was not from a wealthy family uh, growing up, again, unlike Donald Trump. I mean, I, I can't recall every single detail of Biden's father's life, but I, I don't think it was a especially prosperous existence for, for much of the much of the time. Um, so there is that uh, sense of the blue collar roots. And I think there's also a sense of a kind of um, cultural understanding or or uh, being simpatico with voters in um, some of those industrial Midwest states that were, of course, so crucial to um, Donald Trump winning in 2016, uh, the crumbling of the blue wall, so-called. Uh, we all are busy and have busy schedules, so I don't know how much time you had Monday night to watch the CNN town halls. I watched some of them. I didn't watch them all. I watched uh, Senator Harris and Mayor, Mayor Pete. And you others. didn't watch all five hours? <laughs> I don't get paid enough to watch five hours in a row of CNN, Bill. I don't want to get you in trouble if you're a contributor there, but that no, was a little much no, even for me. No longer a contributor to CNN at the moment, at any rate. No, well, I, I, I watched part of Elizabeth Warren and part of uh, Bernie Sanders. O- overall, well, from what you've read, and mm. I'm sure you've seen a lot of clips, Yeah. Uh, how did they come off? Well, I mean, I, I was there any clear winner? Or? I'm not sure. I, I must confess that I didn't see the entirety of uh, Senator Warren's performance, but I know it got good reviews, and and not just you know. She in, was. In the I have to say, she mm. was dynamite. Yeah, yeah. She was extraordinarily good. I thought. I think that she is being um, underestimated, actually, in her chances. I, I mean, I know there is the whole issue of of her heritage and the DNA test, which wasn't brilliantly handled politically. But Elizabeth Warren... Understatement of the of the day, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's my transatlantic reserve showing, uh, Bill. But, but, I mean, Elizabeth Warren's a very serious um, thinker and, and legislator and, and a serious political figure and uh, and very good uh, speech maker in my in my yes, opinion yes. i've been somewhat surprised that she hasn't gotten more traction uh, so far but i don't think we want to uh, leap to judgment um counting her out just yet when we're whatever it is 17 months or something from the election you know right general election all right um and uh buddha judge he mm. has had his moment mm. right he um, has there are still questions about substance i guess mm-hmm. um 
and that sort of came up in the in in the town hall. Uh, it did. Anderson Cooper put it to him that it's all very well uh, stating your values, but his website, for example, has literally, or at, at that time on Monday night, had literally no policy positions at all. And and on. didn't Buttigieg sort of dismiss that as saying, you know, um, yeah, it all, well, we'll get there. We'll get there, right? Yeah, yeah, which. I'm not sure how effective that is. I mean, I know it's early days, but if you're seeking to be president of the United States, it would seem prudent to have some indication of what you actually believe. Uh, and some people are asking, whatever happened to Beto? Beto has fallen rather flat, hasn't he? I mean, after that initial surge of fundraising within the first 24 hours of his campaign, he hasn't really uh, got traction at all. To your point, I think he has, in fact, been very much overshadowed by Judge, uh, who has a somewhat similar appeal, both ideologically and as a as a youthful, fresh face um, on the scene. Uh, Beto, I think, has really uh, serious questions hanging over him on on the issue of substance. I mean, he he tends to emote a lot and be very energetic, but what does he actually? want to do if he were elected president. That's not terribly clear to a lot of people, certainly not terribly clear to me. Plus the kind of campaign that he's running, which is a really a one-man operation yeah. based on appearances at coffee shops. Right, a seat-of-the-pants kind of operation and, and, and placing, it seems, a lot on his own personal um, charisma and uh, personal magic, I suppose, as, her, as his fans would see it. But that Vanity Fair interview he gave where he said he was born to do it or whatever probably didn't do him all that many favours with people who um, are not already on the Beto bandwagon. I think, he believe, I think he believes that. I think he does, yeah. Right? Yeah. Which may show how misguided he is. Uh, <laughs> we I'm shall see. Sure. And in the meantime, you mentioned him. I mean, there's no doubt about it, I believe. You have to just factually admit that the front runner today is Bernie Sanders. Yes, I, I, I don't think there's really any uh, doubt about that. Uh, Bernie Sanders is doing well in polls. He's doing exceptionally well in fundraising. He has performed well at the forums that I've seen, including you and I haven't spoken since he did his Fox News town hall, which I thought at the outset was a um, incongruous thing for him to do and actually worked out very well and, and in my opinion, to his advantage, so Bernie's doing very well so far. Oh no, I, he was at his best, I think, in mm. that in that Fox Fox Town Hall. Uh, yeah, you know, and did not back down and mm. won over the audience, mm -hmm. uh, or else packed the audience with his supporters. However, it happened. I mean, there is in Fox, and he's got a friendly audience. Yeah, uh, and um, you know the the attempts of the host to try to trip him on a couple of things, mm -hmm. and he just wave them off. And Absolutely. And it was also, yeah. not not to sound too showbiz about it, but it was really compelling TV because it's so unexpected to turn on Fox News and see Bernie Sanders being given an extended opportunity to advocate for his views. So now we're going to have the same opportunity with Amy Klobuchar mm. on May 8, and as of yesterday with Pete Buttigieg on mm. May 19. Mm. Smart of them to do that, I believe. Yes, I would agree with you. I think it is, uh, they have nothing really to lose by it. I mean, if they are subject to particularly harsh questioning, many Democratic primary voters would just say, well, that's Fox News for you. And if they do well, then they, then they do well. And if it's some combination of both those things, as was the case with Bernie Sanders, then that's even more. 
to your advantage. Yeah, I, I don't know who uh, is going to be there with Amy Klobuchar, but they're, they're, it's not going to be Sean Hannity, right? It's right. not going to be Laura Ingram. Right. Uh, it's going to be Chris Wallace with mm-hmm. uh, with Buttigieg. I haven't heard who, who the moderator will be with, uh, no. but they'll go out of their way to try to appear fair and balanced. Yeah, right. Absolutely, and, and, and Chris Wallace is with... Chris Wallace is legitimately a very good. Absolutely, and there's know? nothing wrong with tough questions. I mean, no. that's what that's what they're there. If they can't handle the tough questions, you know, get. Mm-hmm. Get, get out. Um, but the, back, back to Bernie for a second. The maybe um, uh, to the chagrin of his staffers, the headline that came out of the CNN town hall for Bernie Sanders was that we will let everybody in prison, including the worst offenders, have the vote. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's as big a political problem as a lot of people think it is. I mean, Bernie Sanders takes the view that it is. Uh, the right of um, people to vote, citizens to vote, irrespective of anything else. And that's, to me, a defensible position. I understand the fear of people saying, well, it could be made into an attack ad, I mean, in the case of the Boston bomber or or whatever. Um, I'm I'm just not sure that that really um, erodes support that Bernie already has. Although I I did point out on Twitter, I come from this from a rather different perspective because although it's a big issue here in the US whether prisoners can be allowed to vote, one of the most dramatic elections of my lifetime was back in Ireland when a prisoner uh, called Bobby Sands, who you'll remember, Mm. who was on hunger strike, got elected as an MP while in prison on hunger strike. So that's that's a very different perspective to the American one where the denial of voting rights to prisoners and to people who have uh, to, to felons is quite commonplace. There was a famous uh, mayor of Boston, James Michael Curley, who was mm. re-elected mayor of Boston from his prison cell. Yep. So it has happened on both sides, on okay. both sides of the Atlantic. Absolutely. I thought Ryan Riley from HuffPost. Uh, I'm sorry, from yeah HuffPost, who was our guest uh, in the last half hour, made a very good point on the Bernie thing that that Bernie might have, might have been better off if he had pointed out. Well, you mentioned the Boston bomber, right? Mm. But Let's face it, there are millions of felons, Mm -hmm. right? And the vast, vast majority of them Mm -hmm. have not committed heinous crimes, murder crimes, right? Right, right. So if you say nobody who's a felon can vote, then you're Mm -hmm. taking the right away from everybody. Millions of people who really do deserve the right to vote. No, and and people who are incarcerated for selling a minor amount of weed or whatever, you know. And and, I mean, that's not to get, and then there's the whole racial disparity as well. buying into the theory that if we do that, then every, this just going to be murderers and rapists and whatever voting. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could have done that more adroitly, I suppose. Yeah, Uh, but probably in the end, not the kind of campaign that you want to base your entire issue on the base your entire no. presidential campaign no. <laughs> presidential campaign on uh, how important do you think the first debate is going to be it's going to be very important because there it's is coming up next is well, almost not, next month in yes, June. it's not that it's not that June. far away i mean it, it obviously gives uh, candidates who might not be seen as quote unquote top tier the capacity to break out and to to break into the the leading lights but Honestly, debates are often more memorable for people screwing up than for people doing particularly well. On on either side, I mean, the, the one famous one that comes to mind was uh, Rick Perry contesting the Republican nomination and listing or oh, trying yeah. to list three depar- uh, government <laughs> departments he was going to abolish and forgetting what that the was, third one was. Yeah, that was his big moment, and then he forgot what the third <laughs> one was. <laughs> 
so that's oops. you know oops oops. <laughs> oops he had an oops moment so there's always the capacity for oops uh, moments and if that happens to a leading candidate it can change the complexion of the race pretty quickly i'm looking forward to it because mm. it'll be the first time really that we see that most americans mm. see uh, for the most part most of these candidates have not 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 had that kind of exposure right Bernie, no. yes. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden, yes. Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. less than them, but mm-hmm. a lot. But then you've got all the rest of them: Julian yeah. Castro and you know, Eric not to Swalwell, and, Eric Swalwell, yeah. and Seth Moulton, and right. <laughs> Andrew Yang, and maybe got, there'll be Moulton Mentum after that, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, go, it it does equalize the field. And I'm not sure, perhaps you know more than I do on this uh, score, Bill. But I, I mean, they're clearly going to have to have two different stages. I assume you can't have twenty people on the same. No, no, they got It's two successive nights. Right. By by the way, both in prime time. Okay. And. Like the first one is going to be NBC and MSNBC. I think it's a Wednesday and a Thursday night. Check the calendar, 25, mm-hmm. 26 of June. And the way they're going to pick. So, mm-hmm. so it sounds like right now, if everyone qualifies, mm-hmm. which I don't think they will. Mm-hmm. But if everyone were to qualify, it would be 10, 10 one night and 10 the next night. Selected at random. There's no A Selected, team and B team. Exactly. Right. Selected okay. at random. Hmm. And uh, I've talked to some of the DNC members, and they will not admit it but publicly, but privately, they're going to make sure that not all the A team is on one night and no mm-hmm. B team on another night. That would be like the Republicans did, which was right. totally unfair. Yep, absolutely. To the B team, so-called B team. Yep. Unfair and boring. Yeah, right. Uh, right. And, 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 so, and consolidated the thing it was supposed to overcome, which was the sense that there are serious candidates and non-serious candidates, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think there may end up being maybe fifteen people out of twenty who qualify, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a lively night. Absolutely, right. maybe yeah. Mike Gravel will have his moment in the sun again. <laughs> Forgot about him. I think this is the first time he's not running in several years. <laughs> All right, uh, so twenty twenty, and now back a little bit to uh, some of the White House goings on at the White House, where um, boy, you thought the um, Russian attempts to interfere with the. Uh, uh, the 2016 election were bad. Now, according to Jared Kushner, that was nothing compared to what Robert Mueller did to undermine this country. John Bennett covers the White House for Roll Call, joining us next here uh, with Niall Stanley staying on as a friend of Bill. And you also are invited at the table, so stay around, take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. You bet it is. April 24 on a Wednesday, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, under the leadership of President Eric Dean, good men and women of the Iron Workers, building our communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. And proud to say that uh, President Eric Dean will be 
one of my guests at the White House Correspondents' Dinner Saturday evening with or without Donald Trump. We don't care. We're going to have a good time. Um, and uh, we thank them for their support of the program. And Niall Stanage here from The Hill as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, joined by another friend of ours, uh, John Bennett, who covers the White House, as does Niall, for the, but, but John does, for Roll Call. Great to see you. Good Thank you for you. coming in. Thank you for having me. Before we jump into more stuff, um, McKenna Chester, who's filling in for Peter this week, we got a little poll up on uh, one thing, Niall, you and I were talking about. Yes, we do. We have a poll up, and it is, do you agree with Bernie Sanders' view that people in prison should have the right to vote? A lot of people have weighed in, including mm-hmm. Chloe, drummer mom. She says, if you are in prison, you're removed from society. Therefore, your voting rights should be removed as well. Once you served your sentence and free, your voting rights should automatically be restored. And uh, you can weigh in on that at BP Show. Do we have any inclination of how the poll is going it's, so far? It's split right now. It's 41% good idea, 41% bad idea, 18% no opinion. Hmm. hmm. Well, split. unusual for our listeners and viewers to be so evenly divided. <laughs> By the way, on the, on the question of um, whether or not Democrats should proceed to impeachment hearings, uh, which I've been arguing against. I've been taking the position of Nancy Pelosi that there are other opportunities right now. The Senate's never going to convict, so you're wasting your time. So do the legislative job, hold the hearings, build the case, and meanwhile run an aggressive campaign against them in 2020. That's the way to resolve this. Uh, our poll, 79% of our listeners and viewers disagree with me. You're so, losing your listeners. You're losing your followers, Bill. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know what happened to my base. <laughs> it just shows how much influence I have, right? Well, uh, back to, to <laughs> Senator Sanders' proposal. Yes. Talk about teeing one up for Donald Trump. Talk about throwing a belt-high three-in-one fastball for Donald Trump, he hasn't had a chance. He hasn't taken a chance to swing at the pitch yet. Oh, but not once yet. he does, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the conservative base? That th- that could be an issue that, you know, it's hard to think of one that can rival immigration. And and again, this morning he's going back to the border situation. He senses danger here, or not? Da- he senses he's been dinged by the Mueller report. He's annoyed by the media coverage. Uh, so this morning he's talking about sending armed soldiers to the border again. Um, Again, I, I, um, I purposely have avoided his tweets this morning. As a former national security reporter, I will tell you that whenever U.S. military personnel are deployed, they're armed. So they're all armed. The 4,700 that are already there, give or take, are armed. So they're all armed. But th- this this notion of letting every felon vote is something that I think I think Trump will use to his advantage. I think Senator Sanders um, uh, did a favor for Donald Trump, and I think when he— when he does swing at the pitch, I think it's gonna it, it's going to poll very well. Trump's response will poll very well with the conservative base, and that's what this is all about. We've talked about this before this when is, I've been on. It's yeah. just about firing at the. He knows he's got to have the base in big numbers, and I think Senator Sanders is. Uh, it might backfire a little bit on it's it. It's one of those issues. We Niall and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, where I believe you can be right and wrong at the same time. Meaning, exactly. Uh, the principle is a solid principle. I think you make the argument. I think the argument that once you start, who's going to decide which crimes qualify for not voting, which ones don't? That's mm-hmm. a very, very dangerous area. Right. At the same time, if you're running for president, this is an issue that you don't necessarily just. Right. Why? That's the question. Tactically, uh, why? Uh, Niall pointed out it's the state 
by state issue anyhow. Oh, that's right. Mm. Yeah. That's and good so point. just that's say, great point. we leave it up Live, to the governors. Yeah, exactly. If I were governor, I might do, but whatever. Because right. Trump I, isn't I, going I, to get into those details. He's just going to say that he's going to no. say that, that Bernie Sanders and all the Democrats oh, want to let the terrorists vote. All Democrats, right? He's he's yeah. going to say that no. they're going to pull uh, uh, ballot boxes into Guantanamo Bay. Right. All right. Now, John, I I have to interrupt the political discussion here because there's one thing that I have to clarify for for the sake of our listeners and viewers that we were talking earlier. You're going to wonder why we were talking about this. <laughs> I have the same question about the fact that Utah has <laughs> adopted as its official bird the California gull. Hmm. And I was making the point, what the hell? First of all, it's disloyal for them not to choose a Utah bird, right. rather a California bird. And the California gulls are supposed to be on the coastline. That's So this is does, doesn't add up. <laughs> uh, my wife weighed in saying, duh, <laughs> on Twitter, duh, the Great Salt Lake. So there is this great body of water in Utah, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But even that is not correct. I went back to the New York Times. Here is why the California gull is so revered by the people of Utah because apparently back in night well, I'm sorry, no, 1848 the gull, California gull rescued crops in Utah that were being eaten by hordes of crickets. Oh wow. So they saved the state in 1848, and that's they have a pride place in Utah <laughs> history. Then. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Now there's the mystery of the California gull. We all know once and for all, right? So there it is. All right. Now, how about the mystery of uh, <laughs> of uh, Donald Trump, um, John, who says uh, Mueller report is done, everything is decided, no collusion, no obstruction, no need to ever talk about it ever again. Therefore, I am not going to let my people testify on the Hill or don't want them to testify on the Hill. He wants to block Don McGahn from testifying. Can he get away with that? We are going to find out. The courts are, I think, inevitably going to make that decision. I think they're going to. I was talking to some officials yesterday at the White House. They are looking at every possible legal tool to block Don McGahn. And the list goes on, uh, you know. Every former and and current White House official, Mueller, named in Bill there. Barr, right, they're right. the they're the big three. Mm-hmm. And then there's also Carl Klein, the the security clearances guy, mm-hmm. right? Oh, right, yeah, right. And I mean, you can even I would add uh, Reince Priebus, the former chief of staff, onto that list. Um, you know, the 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 House Democrats are going to want to hear from everyone, especially those <coughs> who um, who gave testimony to to Bob Mueller. That um, you know painted the White House as this dysfunctional place where the most senior aides just defied the president's orders, in part because they thought they were illegal, so they were trying to save their own hides, but really to save Donald Trump from Donald Trump, and he does not want that testimony carried live on every network for the next 18 months or 17 and a half, however long we are uh, before election day. So they're going to try to block this, and whether they can or not, I think this is headed uh, straight to the court system. And what he's trying to do here, uh, former uh, NBA coach Larry Brown used to do this, extend the game. I watched Larry Brown um, win games his teams shouldn't have won. He would use every timeout. Hmm. He would bring guys off the bench to use fouls, and he would just extend the game. 
He had Reggie Miller and all these great shooters would shoot him back in the game while he was doing this. And that's what Trump wants to do. I don't think Trump fears impeachment as much as other people do because, again, it would rev up the base. Look what the Democrats are doing. This is unfair. It's not just an attack on me. It's an attack on all of us, meaning conservatives. And and I think it, you know, yeah. these court fights would keep this in the news, would keep the issue out there. I think he, I think he thinks it would be good for his reelection. The threat of impeachment, not necessarily impeachment yeah. proceedings, but just the threat of it. But, but I want to come back to impeachment in just a second. But now this is uh, this is a classic battle over separation of powers again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, but by the way, we've been that's, that's been true since the foundation of the republic. But mm-hmm. um, where it's it's as some I saw someone saying yesterday, it amounts to the executive trying to prevent the legislative branch from doing its job. Yes, that's right. And uh, in fact, I was looking um, Elijah Cummings uh, last night. Um, obviously, very prominent uh, Democratic congressman was referring to the Trump administration as, in his view, trampling on the Constitution by this uh, stonewalling of congressional inquiries, which I think is is a valid point. I'd also say that I, I thought John made a very uh, important point, which is that I think part of Trump's issue is. Uh, not only the substance of what someone like Don McGahn or whomever might say, but it's the visceral power of the sight of and sound of McGahn talking about these episodes Absolutely. on tape to be replayed over and over again right. on cable news. Right. That has a whole different power than reading it. In Keeps, the black whole, and white. Absolutely. Keeps the whole thing alive. Right. But couldn't it also backfire if Don McGahn gets up there and then has to say when asked a question, I can't answer that question because... The president has asserted executive privilege. I think it could. I think it very well it could It doesn't backfire. look good either. It, it doesn't look good. Um, but I think there would be a lot of that in these hearings. I, <laughs> I, I yeah. think there would be a ton of that. I don't know how many questions Don McGahn and others uh, would even answer. And I don't I don't think we know yet what the legal fight looks like. Um, you know, Democrats have used executive privilege many times over the years before. Um, you know, there have been uh, there was a case uh, in the two, in the 2000s with Harriet Myers and and Josh Bolton. Uh, the Bush White House claimed executive privilege and a U.S. district court um, uh, ruled for the House the Judiciary Committee, which also then was controlled by Democrats. There was a subpoena. Mm-hmm. Uh, they refused to to abide by it and show up. And the court said um, you can't you, you can't claim absolute immunity just because you once worked in the White House. It doesn't cover everything. Right. Uh, that case is going to be key in however this plays out over the next 18 or so months. Right. Um, one thing we know, and I think as Congresswoman Maxine Waters summed it up yesterday in that second clip we have of hers there, um, McKenna, where um, the, the battle lines are really drawn now, and it's almost all-out war. Here she is. And one thing that the Democrats have to understand, he's not going to give an inch. As a matter of fact, he's defied us on his tax returns. He's defying us as we seek documents uh, from various levels of government. Uh, He's even gone to a lawsuit against uh, Mr. Cummings and his committee. And so one of the things that the Democrats have got to understand is we're in a fight. We're in a fight with uh, a president that has no respect uh, for the Congress of the United States of America. So I think she's right. You know, on every front, whatever, whatever they try to get financial documents, tax returns, Absolutely. testimony Absolutely. from aides, whatever it's going to be. No, no, no. 
Well, the president tweeted uh, this morning, you might not have, have seen it, no. as I was coming up here, that uh, if, if they move forward toward impeachment or if they try to impeach him, he'll, he'll, he will go to the Supreme Court, in his words. Now, it's not that simple. Oh. It wouldn't go straight there, probably. Um, but, yeah, she's absolutely right. This is a fight. Uh, he's shown no signs of budging. The, the post-interview last night uh, when he said the things about uh, no one should be allowed to testify, and then this morning he says the Mueller report did not land a glove on him, and he would take any impeachment attempt to the Supreme Court. So this is this is going to be a big part of the 2020. I, well, not breaking any news here, but this yeah. is going yeah. to be a huge part of of this 2020 cycle. And and she's well, right. There, this is there, going to be a big fight. All right. So two aspects of that. Let's talk about each one. One is whether what is contained in the Mueller report or anything else we know about Donald Trump is an could be considered an impeachable offense, which is one argument Donald Trump is making, no. Um, and they don't have the right to pursue it based on what they've got. And the other is whether this is the right strategy for Democrats. Hmm. On the first point, um, an impeachable offense now is really anything that the Congress hmm. wants it to be, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, high crimes and misdemeanors has ne have never been very clearly defined. It is a, a political process you can determine or define it more or less however you like as even, long as you have the votes to back up your interpretation it could even be something as crazy as an act of oral sex <laughs> or lying about it i did a piece on this yesterday and <laughs> right, right absolutely all right right i did a piece on this yesterday and the founders left it vague they wanted it to be vague they wanted to leave it in the hands of the house and the senate as a backstop in case there was just some outrageous activity from the president so they could be impeached and, and possibly removed. And then they wanted to leave that. They didn't want to write, you know, very technical guidelines. Yeah. Uh, because then, you know, what if there was a loophole in the guidelines? So they left it vague for a reason. Uh, absolutely uh, correct. Yeah. Uh, president Jerry Ford, who was then House leader, maybe, I don't know if he was ever speaker, but leader uh, Jerry Ford, famously defined the impeachment as anything the House of Representatives decides it should be mm. at, at, way back in those days under Richard Nixon. So uh, on the second question, is this the right strategy for Democrats? Um, Maxine Waters and others say yes. Nancy Pelosi says no. John, you're taken. And Niall, what do you think? I think it's risky uh, for Democrats to go down the impeachment path. Um, you know, I think it is... I think there's a strong case to be made that keeping their investigations going is a wise strategy uh, because that, you know, it, this is, uh, you know, I, I have a longtime source who always tells me, John, I'm shocked there's politics involved in a political oh, system. Yeah. Shocking. So for them, you know, they have to keep their base energized, too. And keeping their investigations going, the Judiciary Committee, the Oversight Committee and the Intelligence Committee, I think that's good for them. But even... Too much talk about impeachment, as I said earlier. I think that plays into the president's hands unless they find something as their own investigations go on, unless they 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 find a clearer case of obstruction of justice. If they uncover more than Mueller did, if they take his findings and then mm -hmm. dive deeper, maybe maybe they find a witness or three that that Mueller didn't get to. Um, but but the again, I think the the impeachment talk. Um, from and from certain people, because Donald Trump is a fighter, uh, you know he has all these nicknames for folks. The AOCs of the world, the Maxine Waterses of the world, you know he can turn that into that will put him on offense 
to fire up his base. And one other argument now that Bernie Sanders made the other night in the uh, uh, CNN town hall was that if if for the next and if you think back to the Clinton impeachment hearings mm. with the way the Republicans conducted it, I think it was true then. And Bernie says if we spend the next year and a half talking Trump, 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 mm. Trump, Mueller, 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 and not talking health care, mm-hmm. jobs, minimum wage, you name it, student debt, yep. climate change, Democrats are losing an opportunity. Yes, a very valid point, especially given in the most recent midterm elections, health care was an absolutely central issue to that. It was what many Democrats fought primarily on more so than yeah, uh, Russia or Mueller, and obviously with a great deal of success. Uh, more broadly, I think that in politics, generally it's a bad idea to do what your opponents want you to do, and sources that I have in Trump world would be quite happy about the idea of Democrats pushing impeachment. They think that would rebound to their benefit. It makes it quite easy to make the argument, uh, at least to uh, conservatives and people in something akin to the middle ground, that the president would prefer to be you know, conducting the people's business and has been prevented from that by uh, a democratic partisan effort to uh, to impeach. W- one final thing on this point, Bill, I've been really quite surprised looking at social media, how much people who are favoring impeachment uh, seem blind to there being any risks to it at all. I think that's crazy. I think you can argue well, pro or anti-impeachment, but there are clearly risks to it from a democratic perspective. Uh, yeah, and what I hear a lot is on the part of some Democrats, if we don't, if if, if Democrats don't impeach, they're doing nothing. Mm. And as you pointed out, John, it's not doing nothing, right? An aggressive schedule of oversight hearings is doing something and keeping the issue alive. And an aggressive 2020 campaign is doing something, right? It's but right. At, at the risk of, once again, pissing our audience off totally, <laughs> uh, I just have to point out, too, the ultimate reality is if impeachment were successful, and I think the Democrats would end up, if they did it, having enough votes to impeach, Donald Trump is still going to be in the White House because there's no freaking way Republicans in the Senate are going to vote to convict him. There's no, no way. way. There's no way. I mean, you might get maybe one, two, or three. I can't get, I don't think I can get past three. Yeah, maximum, I would yeah, say. Maximum. Yeah, maximum, yeah. So there's no shot in the Senate. They've bucked him on a few things, but they were very safe things. And for the most part, um, <laughs> you know, folks like Lindsey Graham or, or Leader McConnell were able to explain to President Trump why Republican senators had to buck him on those small handful of votes, and the the president understood, and he he held fire. He didn't tweet about them. He didn't blast them on the South Lawn, yeah. talking to guys like us when he's leaving. Um, so no, there's no chance they're going to remove. And 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 I agree. I don't understand the risk. I don't understand the the blindness to the risk because you're not going to remove. Uh, you're not going to remove him. I've told friends and and sources who who were more uh, left leaning for two years now that when all of this Mueller stuff played out, you're going to simply have to go beat the guy on election day. And that wasn't always that 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 yeah. wasn't always received well, especially among friends, but slowly they've started started to, to agree with me. I just yeah. never thought that Mueller would I just never thought it, Mueller was gonna was gonna issue the kind of report to, that that would say yes we have to prosecute the president. There's one other advantage, of course, in in winning in twenty November 2020 as opposed to winning an impeachment vote. 
right, even even with conviction, is that winning in 2020 means that you get rid of both Donald Trump and Mike Pence. <laughs> Convicting Donald Trump means you're stuck with Mike Pence, right? Back so, to, back hello, to the again, spot, right. I keep coming back to reality here. Right? Right. So the chances um, that the Republicans would uh, vote to ever vote to convict Donald Trump are probably as slim as the chances that the editors of the New York Times are going to get down on their knees and beg for forgiveness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, quite the Monday morning uh, Twitter rant. I think, it, And it went on for almost two hours. It started at uh, 5.57 uh, yesterday morning, and it went until 7.47. Um, and yeah, the, the president attacking the media yesterday, again, uh, a safe place to go to keep that base in. This is the old fallback, isn't it? Mm. No, well, no, no all else. Spells go back to attacking the media no. and immigration. And immig- yes, right. those, those are the two. two. Yeah, those are the two. Yeah, I mean, nobody's going to be uh, nobody in Trump's space is going to be saying, "Well, that, that, that was a little harsh on the New York Times." <laughs> Don't do that, Mr. President. I mean, there's no there's no there's no MAGA hat wearing person in America who thinks that. So he's on safe ground there. Right. He says that they apologized. To- after he won in 2016, uh, I don't remember that. But this is this is his mischaracterization of that. Mm-hmm. I think it was an editor's note that the Times published, suggesting that they needed to sort of do better at identifying right. the roots of Trump's yeah. appeal. Oh, but right. it wasn't an apology, which yeah, he always right. calls it. Peter Baker, their chief White House oh. correspondent, tweeted back immediately that that the paper never uh, apologized and and they never felt any reason to apologize. Oh, uh, they did like everybody else, right? Didn't expect Donald Trump to win. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we all got that one wrong. Yep. But that's not an apology, <laughs> Mr. President. Let's make that very clear. I did. I predicted what? he would win. I predicted before he, he accepted the nomination that he would win. All right. You got it. Hey, John, it's always good to see you. Thank you. Follow John at rollcall.com and at nihilatthehill.com. And you can follow us by coming back again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is The Bill Press Show.